Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Despite uh, a week or two of feeling under the weather, my family and I picked out a turkey. We've got um, pumpkin pie waiting, uh, stuffing, which is kind of a family heirloom that's really extraordinary. I could eat, you know, buckets and buckets of stuffing. But the trouble for me is that I find Harvest Thanksgiving to be a very difficult time to preach. There's just something about this holiday that makes me feel uncomfortable. It's kind of a secular holiday with a veneer of something else on top. It it can feel like, um, you know, the sort of tinges of colonialism that hover around the holiday are really difficult to know what to do with. And have you ever been to a family gathering where you go around the table and list things that you're thankful for, but it kind of takes a lightly passive-aggressive tone. You ever, you ever experienced that where it's like, are we being thankful or are we boasting or are we picking on people? And there are times when, when we gather for Harvest Thanksgiving as a church that has much in a building that looks like this. It can feel a little bit self-congratulatory, adjacent to true Thanksgiving. I don't know. That may be my problem, but I've been thinking a bunch about it this week. How do we we give thanks in a way that is genuine and sincere and deep and means more than just, let's get this over with so I can have some of that stuffing I'm so fond of? I actually think there's something to this in our first reading for this morning, that funny command instruction that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know if you were paying attention. It's this really strange thing where uh, Moses says, when you first gather the harvest in the promised land, when that first takes place, gather up the first fruits, go to the priest and say, my ancestor was a wandering Aramean, and they settled in Egypt, and then they were oppressed. And the Lord delivered us by mighty acts and took us to the promised land. And now, as we gather these first fruits, we have arrived. And so these first fruits are offered to God, and there's a party to which everyone is invited. I think there's something in this retelling of the story that gives us a clue as to how we might begin to enter into thanksgiving in a more sincere way. But the trouble with the story tucked away in this book of Deuteronomy is that Deuteronomy is not the most often read book in the Bible. It, like Leviticus or Numbers, is one of those books where we tend to go, oh, this one. But there's a story here that's really compelling. So let's just step back for a moment. Because in order to grasp what's happening in Deuteronomy, you have to think about Exodus. And there's a school of thought that says that Exodus is actually the first book of the Bible. 
It's the, the part that tells the seminal story of the Hebrew people, this singular event, being saved from bondage and slavery in Egypt and taken out into the promised land, that this story sets up the context for everything else that we read in scripture. As we learn about the heritage of the Hebrew people and as we learn about this God who hears the cry of the oppressed. And so in that context, Genesis is kind of the answer to the question, well, what came before? It's kind of the prelude, incredibly important, but, but something different than the main central story that identifies the Hebrew people. And so as you likely know, in the book of Exodus, um, the Hebrew people, after prospering and becoming numerous, start to look a little bit threatening to the Egyptians. And so the Hebrews are enslaved. They are used to make bricks, to grow the wealth and power of the Egyptians. And God sends Moses to deliver his people because God hears the cries of the oppressed. But there's more to the story than just the struggle between the Hebrew people and the Egyptian people. There's also a clash of worldviews taking place. Because you see, the gods in Egypt, they're okay with the way things are. With the exploitation of one group of people so that the other group of people might be able to have more. The gods in Egypt say, well, this is the way the world works. If you can conquer a people and enslave them, then more power to you. But the God of Israel, the God that we know, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this God says, no, that's not how the world works. That's not how it's designed. You might fool yourself into thinking that that's the way of the world. It might appear that way for a time. But that is always doomed to fail. Because God says a system that doesn't work for everyone actually doesn't work for anyone. And so this God hears the cry of the oppressed and delivers this people, not just so that they might be free, but also so that they might show the world something of God's love and God's plan. That these people might be a sign and a symbol a way of demonstrating an alternative to the way of Egypt. A way that will look like abundance instead of scarcity, generosity instead of selfishness, that will look really different from what the world has seen. Now, these newly freed slaves had a few bumps along the way. Uh, they ended up in the wilderness for about 40 years. Um, and, you know, it there's this impulse, right? As soon as we find ourselves stepping into the unknown, the things that came before that feel secure and predictable, even if it's not a great situation, all of a sudden that can feel really attractive. And so over and over again, the Israelites say, oh, if only you had left us in Egypt. There's no food out here. These beds are uncomfortable. Oh, this is just awful. And so over and over again, there's this struggle and conflict and testing of God. And eventually, God says, all right, enough is enough. This generation's not going to enter the promised land. The next one will. And so when we find ourselves at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, we find ourselves with Moses standing in a high place, looking over the river Jordan into the promised land because they've arrived. And Moses is looking into this, this land of milk and honey, this land of prosperity, the fulfillment of so many promises. But it is 
profound joy and profound sorrow because Moses knows that he doesn't get to cross over because he's part of that generation that isn't going to get to go there. So essentially, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses giving an extended farewell speech, providing instruction and guidance to a new generation of Israelites who are going to move into the land of prosperity and settle. Freed slaves who are learning what it is to create a new kind of society. And Moses says, when you get there, you're going to discover things you haven't experienced yet. You will be full and content. You will build fine homes and dwell in them. You will plant vineyards and you will drink wine. And when that happens, and when you feel wealthy and powerful, do not say to yourselves, by the strength of my arm have I made this wealth for myself. Do not say to yourselves that your creativity or your ingenuity or your work or your cleverness has given you these things because it's not true. Moses isn't trying to take away from the fact that these people had to build homes and toil in the field, but Moses is saying on a deeper level, this isn't really yours. It's all a gift, top to bottom and inside out. It's all a gift of God. None of you conjured this into being. And so, when you are tempted to imagine that it is yours, when all of this other stuff, the way you got here, becomes a distant memory, remember your story. And this is why, in our reading for this morning, all the way towards the end of Deuteronomy, we're in the 26th chapter now, Moses says, once you've gotten there, and you've settled, and you've built homes, and you've planted the field, when you actually gather the harvest for the first time, that's when you've arrived. That's when all of this becomes real. And the very first thing you're going to do is gather up the fruits of the land, and you're going to bring them before the Lord and lay them down as an offering, remembering that it's a gift, that it's not yours. And then you will say to the priest, my ancestor was a wandering Aramean, no home to call his own, oppressed in Egypt. But God heard the cries of the oppressed and brought us out and look at the bounty that we have received. And there is joy in the remembering of the story. And then there's a party. And it's a party that everyone comes to, rich and poor alike, foreigners, orphans, widows, everyone who's usually left off of the social invites. No, they're all gathering for this party. Why? Because the bounty that we harvest doesn't belong to us. It is a gift given of God. And we understand that those gifts are given to be enjoyed and shared. The blessings that we receive are meant to be enjoyed by us, but also turned over because we know that they are not truly ours. They're simply entrusted to us for a time. I wonder if we, particularly on occasions like Harvest Thanksgiving, but, but maybe always, have trouble remembering our story. 
when we consider the things that we've been given, on those rare occasions where we do pause in the midst of our busyness to slow down enough to consider the good things that we have, what story do we place them within? And what are the implications of that story? We claim common heritage with a wandering Aramean. We claim adoption into the bloodline of Israel that, that says that this God wants to order the world in a way where the cries of the oppressed are heard, where a system that doesn't work for some actually doesn't work for all, and where blessings are given to show the world something of God's goodness and kindness and love. If that's our story, how do we then hold the things that we've been given? We worship a God who takes on flesh, lives among us to show us the depths and the beauty of love, profound self-offering, even the offering of oneself on the cross. Jesus speaks of the bread of life that fills us so that we might be in him and he in us, so that we might be transformed and the world around us with us. There's this radical, challenging expansiveness to the story that we claim. And it makes us wonder, I think, from time to time, how it is that we hold the things that we've inherited. I think that's the struggle and the challenge for us this Thanksgiving, is to remember our story, to know deep down that the gifts we have aren't ours, they're just entrusted to us. No matter how profound your struggle may have been, no matter how long the journey to wherever it is that you find yourself, Underneath that is a deeper truth that the whole story is actually a gift of God. And everything we have is meant for the good of all. And if that sounds like a daunting task this Thanksgiving, yeah, it, it kind of is. If that feels a bit heavy, like you might just want to move on and have a slice of pie instead, Fair enough, I'm with you. But I think we're called to do that heavy piece first and then notice the second part of the movement, which is joy. Because you remember the story, you lay what you have before God, and then you take a breath and remember just how wonderful all of this is. That we find ourselves in this moment. That we know the love of God. That we get to celebrate in community. And so there's a party, and we're all invited. Because the aim, in the end, is joy. Because what God wants for us is to enjoy the things that we have been given. Not hoard them, but share them and enjoy them. And so, on this Harvest Thanksgiving, may you pause and remember the gifts that you've been given especially the ones that are easy to overlook in a normal busy week. May you remember the story that we belong to. May you locate those gifts that you have within that story and remember that what you've been given has been given that you might be a blessing to the world. And then have another slice of pie or another glass of wine and let yourself enjoy the moment because all these good gifts come from God that we might know joy. And so, today and always, thanks be to God.
thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.